0: to restart radio show a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we're not gonna focus on all those new shiny, shiny things to buy on Black Friday. We focus on the value and the stuff we already have. Um, The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics, and our monthly community electronics repair events that we call Restart Parties here in London are just the beginning. My name is Janet, I'm from the Restart Project, and I'll be your host, and I'm joined by photographer Mark Phillips. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. And um, In this episode, we're going to talk about repair culture, but also photographing and documenting repair culture and what we can learn from, from photography and um, yeah, and we're going to talk probably a little bit about cameras and and the, the technology we use also to photograph. Um, but before we get started, there are a couple of tech news that we might want to discuss. Um, a month in the tech world seems like a long time between shows now, so um, a lot happened. A lot of it is Apple related, probably. I don't want to go talk at length about too much about Apple, but. Let's start with um, some of the the news that sounds like actually quite interesting and quite potentially positive um, from Apple. So um, we heard that Apple will reportedly launch a pilot program to repair what they deem as vintage devices. And I don't know how many of you out there have had that experience of going to the Apple store for some help with a piece of equipment that you know you perfectly you could last you another couple years and they tell you. Sorry. <laughs> we don't we don't do those. Those are those are retired. Those are too old. Um it looks like the so the news is that they'll um they still refuse the right to they, sorry, they 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 reserve the right to refuse your devices if they don't have parts in stock. But they um they may uh offer repairs for as devices as old as 2011 iPhone 4s or MacBook Pros from from uh, 2012, I mean, as someone who's watched Apple erode our right to repair our own devices, I have to say I looked at this with a little bit of skepticism. However, there are lots of people who simply can't be bothered to find a third party or an authorized repairer or come to our events and potentially this is a good thing for those people. What do you think, Mark?
1: Um, it's potentially a good thing. I guess like all of these things, so it depends on what Apple really do um um you know i think apple from the day it was created and i like the products in terms of what they do but in terms of the from the day they were created they've always wanted to control absolutely everything and this could just be another example of them wanting to control absolutely everything um i, I guess i would feel a lot happier if they uh, made the parts available and you could create an entire community of people who could repair it and you could yeah. have independent re- repair shops doing it and everything else but
0: We'll, we'll exactly. see.
1: We'll have to wait and see well, what really pans out. But,
0: well, in yeah. the end, so this happened against the backdrop of Apple seizing what they called counterfeit parts from some of the, um, you know, more high-profile independent repairs in the mm. U.S. Um, and from some other news about, you know, how um, the new laptops will become less repairable by design. Um, like by, through software potentially, not necessarily by physical design. And so, yeah, I think we need to like interpret Apple's little actions um, as, as kind of against the backdrop of its of its larger um, impacts. And related to that was another story. Uh, uh, there was a big Apple event that we didn't watch because we had things to do. <laughs> we had friends messaging us saying, oh, this is amazing. Uh, Apple is now gonna use 100% recycled aluminum in all of its products. and Okay, I've been following the environmental impact of Apple products for quite a while now. I study all the little reports that come out for each of the products. And there's quite a lot to talk about. there. It's quite interesting um, to say that none of their report, none of their product reports are actually audited or checked by a third party. But and so there's always some questions. However, the the work on aluminium is good. Um, It is like, you know, in the industry, it's it's positive, I think, Reflecting on it, I'm looking at an Apple laptop right now, actually two of them, and um, part, aluminium does account for part of their durability as as products. So, um, However, it has a huge energy footprint, so there, it is. it does make sense that they're looking at this. Um,
1: yeah, because recycled aluminium has a much lower energy footprint, obviously. You've exactly. You've not got all of the extraction from bauxite, etc., yeah. and it 's relatively easy to remelt aluminium and turn it into other things as i 've recently seen, so, yeah you know.
0: so in a way it's a low hanging fruit, and it's good that Apple you know is looking at the embodied energy in the devices because we've always banged on about how you know Apple makes these big pronouncements about the data centers, the stores, how they 're greening everything, but they ignore the gigantic uh, footprint that's embodied in the product so it's good they're working on that, however, if they're going to go and basically stop. Independent and DIY repairers from extending the lives of their devices it 's kind of like one step forward and two steps back from our perspective so yeah and um, anyway so that that was that was the news from Apple um, one last uh, piece of positive news. Um, is that we'd been talking about a group of Korean um, uh, Samsung workers who've been basically fighting for justice um, for for a long time um, after some basically exposure to potentially um, uh, ca- leukemia causing uh, substances in the workplace. And they, you know, this is against the backdrop of a huge uh, corruption scandal in Korea. I don't know if you heard about that one, Mark. But anyway, um, involving man. Samsung president, the president of Korea, et cetera, we thought that we'd never hear justice for these workers, but um, Samsung finally agreed to go into arbitration with them, and the final mediation plan has been um, has been proposed, um, and it looks like the workers will finally get justice for that. And this is, just goes to show that there's so much hidden in the supply chains. There's so much that goes into the pr- uh, production of everything. So I believe these workers were... Um, We're using some kind of solvent that was used to clean a screen or part of, but every little part, every little part of the supply chain exposes some people to risk. So um, it's just important to remember it's not just the workers in China working for Apple, for example, that get a lot of attention, but there's workers in the Philippines and Malaysia and many other places. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I
1: mean, I... In sort of a in, in a previous and parallel life, I've actually studied supply chains and mm. yeah they 're incredibly complex and particularly today mm. and like you said the the actual final assembly bit is the most visible bit that we all see. but if you then were to actually just decompose that and look at where does everything come from, yeah, you know if you could write down the assembly process on one sheet of paper you 're going to yeah. need a book yeah for all the other things that go on yeah. um they 're very 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 complex, and yeah, I think. You know, there's supposed to be, I think with all of these major suppliers, there should be a duty of care to look at what happens upstream in their supply chains and ensure that what their suppliers are doing is ethical and within the law and everything else and and you know, if, yeah. if this is hap- I'm not aware of this, but this is actually happening in a Samsung plant. There really is no excuse for it.
0: Yeah, well, um, this was historic. You know, they, but yes, yeah, they've been I mean, a leading yeah.
1: leading player for a long time, and they yeah. really should know better.
0: Absolutely, and I think even that that not only should the uh, duty be on the manufacturers to to audit their supply chains, but they need to be independently audited as well. There needs to be a, like a third party that looks at it, just so, like you would yeah.
1: allegedly do with accounts yeah. and everything else. Yes.
0: Absolutely. So, um, you just mentioned the complexity of everything and the way things are are assembled and created, so but your project, um, mark, tell us about your project to look at the complexity of what happens to objects during their use phase during their action during the time they're with us and the time we get them repaired um, so
1: yeah, okay, great thanks so the, this is um it was a bit of serendipity, I guess. I'd sort of My background's engineering, um, and I've been doing photography for longer than I can remember. I probably started at eight years old with a little Instamatic, and then I've graduated and used digital these days mainly, although I do still use some film cameras. Um, and I, I got interested, I guess, with my engineering background and liking looking at, well, what do things look like when they're in bits? Because we always see them assembled. I was like, so I took a few things to pieces, but I decided that photographically it wasn't that interesting. Um, And I was in an academic conference in Cuba a few years ago, and I didn't want to take all the cliched images of Cuban cars and all the rest of it. But I was walking past a car, and I saw this adjustable spanner wedged into the door of one of the cars. And I thought, that sort of sums Cuba up perfectly. You know, here's a car. It's battered. It's still working. It's probably from the 1950s and the toolkit is already there, ready to go. This person's prepared for it to break down, but they're gonna fix it and keep it going anyway. And that was sort of like the seed for me starting a project that now I've been doing for three, rapidly coming up to four years, Um, and it sort of spans The culture of what we used to be able to do, I'll describe it, and I'm thinking here very much with sort of a Western eyes that, you know, if you go back to the pre, probably the pre-70s, if you go back into the 60s, 50s, 40s, we used to be able to repair things. Things were designed in a way that actually made it relatively easy for people to repair most things. And obviously, since the 70s and into the 80s and 90s, it's just got worse and worse and worse, as I'm sure many people um, listening will know, but if you go to some parts of the world, and I think particularly in the poor world, then they still have this ability to repair things that we've lost by and large in the West. So I'm interested in photographing repair particularly as one of the, in my view, one of the most sustainable things that you can do. And if you've decided you need something, then having decided you need it, the best thing you can do is keep it working for as long as possible. It uses less resources, it creates less waste elongates the life of the of the device. Um, and so I've tried to explore this from lots of angles. So I started exploring in Cuba because I had some connections there. I worked with a local uh, university lecturer who also happened to be a photographer, managed to get into all sorts of places that tourists don't normally go, and found a culture not just for repairing the sort of classic sort of cars, but everything. It, it, it became very obvious to me by probably the second or third visit that this was just ingrained in the culture of Cuba. And in fact, I came across some work by an anthropologist who I apologize, whose name escapes me now. And she sort of described the culture in, in Cuba as the never ending life of Cuban things, mm-hmm. which really did sum it up that, you know, most devices, you know, particularly things like fans and hair dryers and cookers and even microwaves. If they break and the bit that breaks is made of plastic, they'll find a way around it. They'll either recraft something out of wood or metal or other bits of plastic that they bend and they'll just keep the thing working. Yeah. I mean, some of them look pretty weird at the end of it, but they still work. They still meet the intended function. Um, so that got me really, really interested in it because it created lots of scope for things that I think, you know, we now in the West, we'd look at it and think, wow, I would never thought somebody would still be repairing that.
0: Yeah, I mean, remember you had some images of like uh, people, um, like just basically refilling or fixing lighters, um, you know, cigarette lighters, which we treat as a completely disposable object.
1: Well, absolutely. So I remember the, I I know the, I remember the guy well. It's Yalasan. He, he, uh, and in fact, there are several of these people, fosforeros. They'll Mm -hmm. take what we would consider to be a disposable lighter, which as soon as it's extinguished, we chuck it in the bin. But what they do is they take the lighter. Uh, and then they make some small adjustments to it. They they find a, They take out the plug in the bottom, refill it, put a new plug in, which they usually make out of um, simple pins, um, mm. sewing pins. Um, they'll if they need to change the flints, they'll recharge it. And so suddenly, this thing that was a disposable item now becomes a reusable lighter. Yeah. And they do it for just a few cents. But you'll find them probably you know every fifth or sixth street, you'll find one of these people that repair them um or Transform them from being a disposable object into now being well, a that's, reusable that's object. That's what's
0: kind of I mean. So obviously, um, I showed some photos actually of, of Cuban hacks and repairs in a, in a secondary school um, here in London. And the idea was not to say that like, oh, we should we should all live under these very difficult conditions. But the idea was to sh- reveal what that that constraints really help with creativity, and they help us kind of rethink materials, you know, and and that um, you know some of these hacks are things that actually you know why yeah why couldn't we be reusing i mean they actually provoke us to think about our the system we live in and they're very effective in that yeah. i'm not saying that you know that we should all have to you know hack together um a, a a battery charger for you know um, f- for 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 every little device for our home or that we all need to become electricians or know how to connect things to car batteries, but it it is it is very useful and provocative to to look at repair culture also when it's when it's so radically different than ours I think yeah you know?
1: and I've seen so I, I've I've deliberately photographed mm-hmm. in in you know in the in places like Cuba and Ghana because. To be blunt, you're going to find more examples of that ingenuity and ability to hack than you're probably going to find in the West today. And the whole idea in my project is to sort of show some of what they're doing. And then, as as you know, working Mm -hmm. with the Restart project, um, I've shot also at repair cafes and in Sweden Mm -hmm. at Retuna, which is a big... Uh, you know, It claimed to be the world's first shopping mall that was all about recycled and repaired equipment. So I've been to a number of these places, and I would describe those as trying to you know, re-learn the culture of repair. Mm-hmm. And so my project at the moment is about what did we used to be able to do? So the, the Cuba, the Ghana are, are, are examples of that. What we used to be able to do and we seem to have lost. I'm interested now in the, how do we build that capability, restart, repair cafes, etc. But the other part of my project, which has become more of a challenge for me at the moment, is... So what do we do about the future and the future's actually about how do we design products to be more repairable and upgradable in the future. Now there are a few examples. Uh, mm. I've been to Isla Bikes um out in the on the sort of English Welsh border and they're trying to come up with a new business model for the way kids bikes are are actually manufactured and then supplied. It's more of a like a lease program. If your kid mm. gets too big for the bike, you just swap it for another one and the bikes are designed to be, you know, um easy to repair, easy to upgrade. I've been in contact with and played around with Fairphone, which I'm sure mm-hmm. quite a few people are here are familiar with, you know, and that's another example, but...
0: It's a modular, it's, just for so listeners, it's sorry, a modular yeah. smartphone where you could do, you could perform pretty uh, basic repairs uh, with, often without a screwdriver. So, so you can take
1: the screen off, mm-hmm. I've got one, you can take the screen off without a screwdriver and mm-hmm. then basically there's a few modules in the back for doing mm-hmm. things like the power module, the camera, and you literally just need a little Phillips screwdriver to, to actually replace those. It's very, very easy to do. Great concept. Mm-hmm. But this is where I'm now struggling. So, yeah. Isla bikes, Fairphone, and now who what? else? And there's, there's a lot of kind there's...
0: of like speculative, I would say, like design fictions or interesting projects by art students, and then there are some flagship products by some of the big manufacturers that do indicate that it is possible to 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 create designable, or, sorry, uh, design repairable products. But when you look at those big manufacturers, you look at the, the massive back catalogue of stuff that's just not designed to be repaired, it's, it's actually yeah. hard to find kind of almost like the, the people who are leading the way in that area.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm really struggling with that. But I want that to be part of my project because I think it's really, really important to try. I mean, the whole concept behind this is to, is to show solutions rather than the problem. So I'm interested in, you know, people who found solutions to problems in Ghana, in Cuba, and elsewhere, people who are trying to now create new solutions, you know, like Restart Project, Repair Cafe. But I'm also interested in those people trying to create new solutions by designing products in a different way. And the idea is that totality is yeah. the project. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping in some way, in the next sort of 12, 18 months, I can get around to getting it published. It's uh-huh. almost okay. like, a here, look, here are some ideas, and maybe it'll just encourage one or two people to go, hey, well, we could do that. Why don't we do that? Uh, and, 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 is, and is
0: your idea like a kind of a, a, like a coffee table book or a little bit more than that?
1: Okay. I don't really want it to just sit on a coffee table. I'd, yeah. like peop- I'd like people to be to do more than just have a coffee and admire the cover. Um, mm. It would be great if they actually looked into it. Uh, my plan is to try and get some essays in there and and some practical information. I have sort of some crazy ideas which I don't even know if are, are workable yet that says maybe there's some section of the book that actually should be upgradable on a regular basis anyway. Um, you know, almost like th- think of the concepts of, well, maybe the book should have a bit that could be upgraded, you know, new information or something. I would like it to be something that stimulates people to think about. What could we repair that we're not now? You know, if it encouraged somebody to start a business that repairs things and they hadn't thought about it before or they see something in another country and they think, well, we could do that here. And if it just encouraged one or two people, then I'd think the project's been a success. I'm not going to transform the world, but if I can get a few people to change things, it'd be great. <laughs>
0: Listening to restart radio, and we're interviewing photographer uh, Mark Phillips about his project to document the culture of repair and um, potentially, well, more than just repair, is like changing the systems um, by which we buy and use things. Um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about your work at our event. So, you mentioned that you've been photographing us, mm-hmm. and um, it's actually really it's a harder job than most people might think to turn up at a very ad hoc, high energy community repair event where there's lots of stuff going on. There's not necessarily the best lighting. Um, and and also people are somewhat shy sometimes. And uh, anyway, tell us tell us some of the challenges of photographing our kinds of events.
1: Well, yeah, you've hit on quite a few of them. I mean, the, the first thing is... Um not everybody wants to be photographed. So one of the things I've tried to do with with yourself and and, and all the people that host the repair cafes and everything is let's make sure everybody's aware I'm coming. And there's an agreement right up front. You know, if people don't want to be photographed, I'm not going to photograph them. Mm -hmm. I'm not into the sort of voyeurism street photography approach. This is a this is something I actually want to be a win-win. But oftentimes
0: and oftentimes the best photos are slightly anonymized in some way. Hands are extremely compelling to
1: photograph. Yeah, some people have looked at some of the photography I've done and I I I have a deliberate policy of chopping people up in my images. I'm I'm not (laughs) into I will take sort of fairly classical portrait, but I actually quite like the juxtaposition. And creating almost like a graphical form that might be quite strong graphically, but it just breaks all of the rules around I chop people's heads off, I chop bits <laughs> in the body off because actually they make yeah. really interesting images and the yeah. ambiguity in them actually makes it more interesting as an image than you know, if you can read the entire image and it's very literal, actually yeah. by the time you've looked at the image for a few seconds it's boring. So yeah. it's actually better to create images that have got a bit of ambiguity in them because people will linger on them longer. And that's, from a photographer's point of view, that's what you want people to do is look at it for more than a nanosecond, I mean, today. Everybody's looking at stuff for a nanosecond, if you're lucky. I'd like them to look a little bit longer than that. That's true. Um, I've noticed some
0: of your photos are tableaus. They're, They're a bit more like... You're looking at a workshop or a, a workbench or you know a scene, yeah. Um, and then some of your photos are are really like tight in, and you're you they do both invite the viewer to look longer. The other ones are kind of like potentially more like a like a a really close and still life with hands and I think what I what I what I particularly love about uh, photos of of community repair events is that um there's there's often multiple pairs of hands
1: (laughs) yeah and I'm very aware that you know repair cafe restart project these are events where people come in and they're not there for a repairer to fix their kit they're there for a, to, to actually learn mm-hmm. and be involved actively in the process of re, of repairing or trying to repair. Um, and so if you were to just show the repairer, it sort of doesn't really tell the whole story. So yeah, I deliberately, I mean, I will sometimes do that and just have the person that's done the repair or mm. the person who's like leading the repair process. Yeah. I will take just their picture, but actually to tell the story, it's better to have more than one person in in there, um, even if i am chopped 90% of them out, you can mm-hmm. see there's somebody else involved yeah. because that's an important part of the story. Um, mm. And yeah, other challenges, yes, the lighting's normally pretty rubbish. <laughs> Um, but I'm pretty used to that now. I mean, in Cuba, if you're lucky, the workshop's got one fluorescent strip light, uh, which is hideous to photograph in. Um, yeah. So I sometimes will bring along a little fill flash or I've got a little LED portable light I carry around with me. If we, if it's really, really bad, I'll sometimes use that. Um, but actually the camera I use is pretty good in low light. So more often than not, I'll try okay. and shoot without the flash without another light because that in itself can sometimes be distracting and I personally find the use of sort of flash and other lights creates a sort of an artificial look you know if it's a dark and dingy place and Mm. I was shooting out in in Ghana last week uh, in a place where they were actually Melt, actually we're talking about aluminum that we were talking about earlier, they're actually taking loads of scrap aluminum uh, and they've got a little tiny foundry and they melt it and they create cooking pots. And these cooking pots you'll find by the side of the road all all over Ghana. Um, but that place had no light. There was a little bit of natural light came in. Um, And I think there was one small bulb in the corner that came on when they had electricity. Um, So everything was really, really dark. And you Mm -hmm. can imagine it was smoke filled and everything Mm -hmm. else. Um, But I managed to get images with the camera with no flash and anything else. So it can, you know, it depends on the camera, it's Mm -hmm. possible. And um, That's one of the reasons why I use digital in I the was projects. But, ask uh, you to
0: tell us about your kit. Come on, no, no, no. no, no. I this don't is, want to spend a lot of time talking this about is kit, a te- but well, I, do we talk I, about <laughs> devices? This is a tech show. Tell us about your yeah, kit. Come I on. love
1: shooting film, but and and film film has got a sort of an aesthetic quality that's still, I think, difficult to replicate in digital. Mm. But for certain projects, it's just I just don't find it practical. Um, it, it's you know, in these places, the lighting levels are so bad that I could never really get a film pushed enough.
0: You have to bring a massive tripod with you well, or I'd something. have to bring a tripod yeah.
1: in and I don't want, I, yeah. and you can see, I mean, I've got the camera here. This is the camera that's taken 90% He's of the shots.
0: Just holding the, up what basically looks like a, maybe like a, a, a super fa- fancy kind of family snapshot kind of camera. Yeah, from it's from a little bit bigger your, than that,
1: but not very big. The idea yeah. is it's a small camera because I think if you walk into a place with a big professional rig, it immediately creates this barrier between you and the people that you, that you want that. to work with. Yeah. So I more often than not use a really small camera. Um, it's it's uh, it, it, it sort of works for me. I I shoot also with a manual lens on it. I don't use autofocus because more often than not, if places are really really badly lit, the mm. autofocus struggles. So yeah. it's actually a lot easier for me to go. You know, I know that you're currently about nine feet away from me. Sorry, that's three meters in metric, but that's roughly how far yeah. away you are. I can just set this to that. Press the button, and I know it's going to be in focus. If the lights were really dim, mm. you know that's going to work, but the autofocus may not. That's so wow. sometimes, you know, we're we're mm. um, we're maybe bewitched by technology, and sometimes yeah. some of the older ways work just as well. Well, and um, you started
0: out obviously shooting analog photography, I did, so yeah, yeah, you have all those those. Yeah, I'm, I'm analog.
1: I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm I'm that old.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us about. So I'm curious though. So that's is that that's a Fuji camera that you use? That yeah. one. Um, so ha- have they gotten? Um, you know. Less durable, um, less, uh, you know, are there, is there a problem with the repairability in those cameras? Or have, have, you, have you been tracking that over the years as
1: well? Um, mm. I've been, you know, I'm going to touch wood because I've been really, really lucky. Um, other than dropping cameras, which is never a good thing to do, yeah, um, I've had very, very few faults with the technology. Mm. Um, in the old analog days never had any faults with it. I can't remember a single failure on any of the cameras I used to own sort of pre-digital. Um, I have had one failure with Fuji um, but I'm lucky in that I've got a, like a Fuji professional services or something um, contract um, and because and it actually literally comes free with a camera. Uh huh. I was going to. Um, I was so, going to ask if It was like well, that actually, Apple no. Care
0: yeah. Premium. No, there's no premium. Okay. And, uh, but, but yeah.
1: so for some certain yeah. basic things, you know, they will they will repair. And I get mm-hmm. like an annual service to get the sensor cleaned and that, which is free of charge. I think I'm oh, allowed two of those a year. That's
0: pretty good. Um,
1: yeah. But then yeah, if something breaks and it's out of warranty, that is going to cost me money. And and they're not cheap. To be fair, when things do break.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. and I guess that's the one big difference. Um, probably the reason why there are still camera repairers and the like that around is. These are quite expensive compared to phones. Mm. And the other thing is, they're a lot more complex than phones. Um, You know, in a phone, you don't really have any moving parts. Mm. Um, You know, it's basically a piece of solid state electronics and plugged together or bolted together in some way. Camera has got a combination of electronics. Yeah. And there's mechanical things in there and there's optical things. So when it goes wrong, it can be pretty expensive. I mean, and
0: with, you know, when people bring cameras to our events, we kind of (laughs) we say like often they bring these kind of rather disposable little digital numbers um, and it's kind of like 50 50. We open it up and have a go. yeah, well, um, like I, I would be interested in um, hearing a little bit more about, you know, um, this what you, what your plans are for the future. So you've done, you've spent the past uh, three or four years. You've gone to Cuba. You've spent time here in Europe checking yep. out what, what what we're doing to try and revive repair, and you've just gone um, to to Ghana to check out repair culture there. Um, is there is there still a missing piece? So you're looking for sustainable designs and designers, yeah. uh, but where are you going to find them?
1: Uh, that's the challenge yeah. at the moment. Um, so I'm putting out feelers through sort of academic community, but I mean, I'm going to be quite brutal. Now. So anybody out there now at the <laughs> other end of this radio yeah. station knows of any really good examples of what I would call truly sustainable, repairable design. You know, please, please contact me. You know, either via Restart or directly, um, because it's it's actually difficult. You know, I, I've been to a number of places and I thought, yeah, I might see something here, and they've turned out to be not that impressive.
0: Okay.
1: Um, as I said, I've got the two good examples at the moment. I think Isla Bikes are a good example. I think Fairphone are a good example. I'm looking for two you know, or three we, more good ones. We
0: can help you a little bit, but yeah, I yeah. was I was interested in um, in you know really encouraging you to look check out the design scene also in China itself and um, seeing what they're learning from or what they're thinking about in the future because um, I think sometimes we always we always like basically blame China for a lot of the the, the you know the the shoddy design when in fact it's kind of. It's us. We're asking for it. We, we want it. We want it to be cheap. So, yeah, I think great. It might China's be a possibility.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got some, I've got one or two contacts who I do intend to speak to about what the options there may be. Um, if I, can, if I can find enough money to get out there um, okay. and find the time, yeah, that's Great. definitely on the list. Great. Yeah.
0: Um, we've got, if you'd like any help repairing anything with a battery or a plug, and we can try with cameras, although oftentimes better to go to the pros, um, we've got an event um, on Sunday in Hackney at 12 noon uh, near Victoria Park, and you can join us there. You can find more on our website, therestartproject.org, or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Thanks to OptoNoise and, and Cassini Sound for our music, and we're here live, the second Tuesday of every month at 5 p.m. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thank and you, Janet. Until next month.